his breath till that stone was blue for good for the lamb that conquered death and the dead rose from their tombs and the angels stood in awe for the souls of all who come to the father are restored and the church of christ was born East Hillsville Baptist Church for all you in the parking lot, for those that are online and the few of you that are here in the uh, auditorium this morning. We want to thank you so much for being with us. Going to give you a quick update. Next Sunday, our plan is right now is to have in-person uh, worship at 1030. Of course, there's no Sunday school, and I would encourage you to uh, please practice social distance, wear a mask if you're comfortable with that, and also kind of keep your distance from people. I would really especially encourage you to keep your distance from staff because one of us is out, the rest of us will have to quarantine. And uh, the cases are rising in Alexander County, and we would encourage you to use your best discernment and decisions. You have three ways to worship here, in person, in the parking lot, or online. So we're going to trust you uh, with your own health. If you've been around anybody that's sick, please don't come. If you have any kind of uh, medical issues, please don't come. Uh, this is really too important for us. I think we've done a really good job since last year um, with in-person worship, which start, I mentioned this last week, started on Father's Day of last year, and uh, there's plenty of room in here to spread out. There's probably seven to eight feet in between rows. Uh, so if you come with your family, we're just going to trust you to love your neighbor and give them their space. And that way we can worship together. God has called us to worship in person, and that's what we're going to do. So thank you so much for that. Appreciate your prayers. And uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we just want to tell you that we love you today. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, that we can gather together. Lord, some at home. Uh, Lord, some wherever they are uh, in, in America today watching online. We get so many comments from people all over. But, Father, we just want to thank you for these opportunities that we have. Father, we didn't have uh, 
We didn't do this a couple years ago, and Lord, we're so thankful that people can watch online either today, uh, tomorrow, next week. Father, we're just thankful for the technology that we have. And Father, I pray for those that are watching, pray for those that are in the parking lot, and for those of us in person, Lord, I pray that you would bless, heal, deliver, convict, change, challenge, call. Lord, we place our faith and trust in you. Lord, uh, we pray for those uh, in our community that have COVID. Lord, we pray for their quick healing. Father, for those outside of our community, Lord, many people have been mentioned on social media. Lord, we pray for their healing as well. We pray for our nation, Lord. Just heal our nation. And uh, Father, help us, Lord, as a church, as we try to discern, uh, Lord, your will in this. And Lord, I pray that you continue to give us wisdom. And Lord, I want to thank you for our leadership here. I want to thank you for the hearts of these men who make these decisions. And Lord, I pray for us in the days to come as we have to make so many more difficult decisions. Father, we're so thankful that you're on the throne. Lord, none of this has taken you by surprise. And Lord, I pray that uh, as a county, as a state, and as a country, America would turn their face to you. Bow the knee to Jesus and confess Jesus as Lord, Father. And we'll thank you and praise you for what you do for us in Jesus' name. Amen.
I have a request this morning. Uh, John Monsell and Joanne, we've sponsored them as our missionaries for 20 plus years. Uh, John's mother passed away and her service is going to be in a, in a week or so. I want to remember him and his family and uh, they've served the Lord in Haiti for many years. I want to pray for the people in Haiti who's going through a very difficult time through the earthquake and uh, just remember them in our prayers this morning. I want you to remember the Lord is always present, always with you, no matter what we face in life. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you. You're a very present help in time of need and trouble. Lord, that means you're here with us. You never forsake us. You never leave us. You're with us always, whatever we face in life. And Lord, you embrace us through our day. You embrace us through our night. You're ever present. And we want to thank you for that. We love you. We thank you for this time of worship. May you bless this hour. Lord, as we glorify your name and worship you, Lord, we're here to honor you and to praise you, give you all glory and all honor and all praise that you're worthy of. And Father, we love you this morning. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen.
Thank you, Amanda. If you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to turn to Psalm chapter 22. And for those in attendance here, if you would stand with me out of respect for God's Word. We've been looking at the life of David, and then the last several weeks we've been looking at some of the Psalms that David uh, wrote that um, have been a big impact on my life and in all our lives. In this Psalm, Psalm 22, William McDonald said this, Approach this Psalm with the utmost somberness and reverence. Because you have probably never stood on holier ground before. You have come to Golgotha, where the good shepherd is giving his life for the sheep. For three hours, the earth has been enveloped in thick darkness. Now Emmanuel's orphan cry echoes through the universe. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is a psalm written by David about the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Such an amazing psalm. Listen to what, notice the first verse of Psalm uh, chapter 22. The words quoted verbatim by Jesus from the cross, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, Oh my God, I cry in the daytime, and you do not hear, and the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. It's amazing as Jesus is on the cross, he still acknowledges the um, sovereignty of God, his faith in God, and his trust in God. So no matter what you're going through as a born-again Christian, acknowledge the sovereignty of God, God's word, and then place your faith and trust in him. Now notice what Jesus says. David speaking in the first person about Jesus. By him a worm and no man. A reproach of men and despised by the people. Now, this is talking about the mocking of Jesus when he was on the cross. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Almost verbatim from Matthew 27. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Saying, let God deliver you. But you are he who took me out out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast from you from birth from my mother's womb. And you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I'm poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up in the potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death, for dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierce my hands and my feet. I count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divided my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. It's amazing. This was written so long before Jesus was even born, so long before crucifixion was even invented. But you, O Lord, do not be far from me. O my strength, hasten to help me. Deliver me from the sword. 
my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth and from the horns of the wild ox, and you have answered me. I will declare your name to my brethren. That word brethren is very important. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who, you who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him. And, the fear, and fear him, all you offspring of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him, he heard. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. Father, we stand with a sense of awe and reverence as we come to your word. Father, all of the Bible is important. But Father, this psalm is just simply amazing. That you would speak through David about the, like almost an eyewitness account of the crucifixion. It's just simply amazing. This, there's no book like this book. There's no Savior like our Savior. There's no God like our God. And Father, we humbly submit our time to you, our hearts to you, our minds to you. And Father, we ask that you speak through us. Help us to get another uh, Lord wonder of the cross today a sense of thankfulness and gratitude. And Lord, also I pray that you'd encourage us to share this good news. It's the best news the world could ever hear. Brother, our, our physical life is very important, but Lord, our spiritual life, Lord, we live for eternity. And Father, I pray that you'd save today. Lord, speak to people in their homes, in their cars, wherever they are. Even if people watch this later on down the road, Lord, I pray that you would save for your honor and for your glory. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thank you to be seated. may be seated. John MacArthur said about this Bible prophecy, he said, the strongest objective argument for the validity of Scripture comes from fulfilled Bible prophecy. That's what this is. I love Stephen Lawson's commentary in Psalm 22. He says, this is what makes Psalm 22 so amazing. Written 1,000 years before the first coming of Christ, this Psalm reads as if it were actually recorded by a person standing at the foot of the cross. The very words spoken by Christ from the cross, as well as his thoughts and the injuries he suffered, are recorded here. David, the sweet psalmist of Israel, set forth in this psalm a graphic portrayal of the cross hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented as a form of capital punishment. With the precision of an eyewitness observing the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus Christ, David, under the direction of the Holy Spirit, wrote the most detailed description of the cross found anywhere in Scripture here is David's preview of the cross, a masterpiece that has been called the fifth gospel, the gospel according to David. Simply amazing. We've got to understand that every page of the Old Testament is about Jesus. Everything points to Jesus. Notice what Jesus says about himself to the Pharisees in John 5, 39. He makes this statement. You search the scriptures. Now, when, he, when they say the scriptures, they're not talking about the New Testament because they weren't written. He's talking about all the Old Testament. Because you think that in them you have eternal life, he said. But, and it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus is saying, Psalm 22. He would take them to Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, and say, These things are written about me. Notice what Jesus said after his resurrection in, in Luke's gospel. Then Jesus took them through the writings of Moses, all the prophets, explaining from all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Then he said in another place, When I was with you before, I told you everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and in the Psalms, this very Psalm, must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Simply amazing. Notice what Daniel said even uh, later than that. Notice what Daniel chapter 9 says. After 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off. And look at the Hebrew word he uses for cut off. This is talking about the Messiah. Now Daniel 
perfectly prophesied the rise of Greece, Alexander the Great, and Jesus' crucifixion. This was basically 500 years before he was born. This Hebrew term that he used is used a number of times in the Old Testament to describe the violent execution of a criminal. And this psalm talks about very intense suffering, even though, I like how one scholar put it, he says, even though the psalm is written in the first person by David, I and me, there's nothing from the life of David that can account for this. What the psalm is speaking of is not an illness or a threat or discouragement, but an execution prophesied by Daniel. He foretells about Jesus and how he would die. David spoke of things greater than he knew, but not greater than God knew. And he goes on to say this, the Bible is utterly unique because the Bible is not just a human word. The Bible is the word of God. The picture of the cross was written roughly 1,000 years before Jesus walked the earth. And let's look at what was prophesied by David about Jesus. And the first one is so obvious, he will be forsaken. If you look at Mark's gospel, we have the very words of Jesus up here on the screen where Jesus says, says at darkness, at noon darkness fell across the whole land until three o'clock, which is very important. And then Jesus speaks in the Hebrew and then uh, is recorded, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Directly from verse one of Psalm 22, if you look at it again, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And that word for forsaken means to abandon, to leave, to turn your back on. The effects of the cross were having their full effect and he bore the wrath of a holy God. Lawson goes on to say this, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? This is the fourth saying of Jesus uttered on the cross. It was the first statement spoken under the shroud of darkness. The intimate call by the Son was like the call of a lost child searching for the Father whose face he longed to see again. Now notice the word Father is not there. But Jesus eventually says the word Father from the cross. He says this, he says, he says, Yet the absence of the words, My Father, and the use of the words, my God, in their stead indicate a breach in the relationship within the Godhead. R.C. Sproul says this, If God did not forsake Jesus during his execution, then no atonement occurred, because forsakenness was the penalty for sin that God established in the Old Testament, or the Old Covenant. Therefore, Christ had to receive the full measure of that penalty on the, on the cross. It was called the curse in the Old Testament. The curse is the opposite of a blessing. One of the prayers that the Jews prayed is this, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. For the Jewish person, for David in particular, God's face being upon him was a sign of blessing. We looked at that last week where David said, Lord, keep your face upon me. I want your blessing upon me. This was equivalent to the face of God shining upon a person. But here we see that there's darkness across the land and God's not shining his face on Jesus. And it makes Jesus say this in his humanity, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he has become a curse for us. Paul said in Galatians 3, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. So God forsaking Jesus was part of the penalty of bearing our sin and God's wrath on the cross. When Paul quoted Galatians 3, he was quoting Deuteronomy 21, 22, and 23, which says, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree. John MacArthur said this, At noon, a great darkness came over the land, which lasted until 3 o'clock. Jesus was indeed forsaken by God while he bore the sin of his people on the cross. This is the very essence of the atonement. 
Jesus bearing our hell in order that we might share in his heaven. He was utterly and completely forsaken for a short period of time. But not only that, David prophesies that Jesus will be mocked. If you look at verses 6 through 8, it talks about the mockery that he would uh, uh, experience. Jesus makes this statement, but I'm a worm and no man, a reproach of men and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lips and shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Notice what the psalm says in verse 17. It says, they look and stare at me, they gloat. And in Matthew's gospel, Matthew 27, verse 39 and 40, the Bible says this, as Jesus was hanging on the cross. It says, and those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads, saying, you who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself if you're the son of God. Come down from the cross, almost verbatim what verse 8 is talking about. Verse 8 says this, well, verse 7 says this, All those who see me ridicule me, they shoot out the lip, and they shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord, let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. And in Matthew's gospel, it says this, All those who passed by blasphemed him, wagging their heads, saying, You who destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. If you're the Son of God, come down from the cross. And when we think about, when we think about the gloating, notice what? Psalm chapter 12 says, Psalm 22 chapter 12, Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like raging and roaring lions. Typically at the cross, you had the worst of the worst in society that would come out. Who else would go to, go to a crucifixion? You've got to have a debased, depraved mind to go to a crucifixion. Where guys are hanging nude. Typically, uh, the crucified people were some of the worst people in society. And usually even their parents wouldn't show up at a crucifixion. But the worst of the worst in Jerusalem would show up at a crucifixion. Who else would go to that? Who else? And you see men basically hanging nude, suffering the worst possible death. And Jesus says, while this was happening to me, people came by, they gaped at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I'm, I'm, I'm almost certain they would probably make fun of his body. They'd make fun of his mom. They'd make fun of him. They were blaspheming him. They were mocking him. And it was so bad that basically what the Bible says that they recorded it verbatim what they said. Verbal and emotional abuse is abuse. And that's what was happening to Jesus on the cross as he was dying for their sins. It's amazing. And if you look at other parts of Matthew's gospel in Matthew 27, the Bible says this, how do you treat a king? He was the king of the Jews. The Bible says in verse 27, then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole garrison around him. And they stripped him nude. When they said they stripped him, they took all his clothes off of him in front of all these Roman soldiers and they put a scarlet robe on him. Some scholars say that this robe probably came down to about here so you can imagine what was going on in this locker room setting with Jesus in the middle, just standing there. And then the Bible says this, when they had twisted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. Then they spat on him and took the reed and struck him in the head with it. MacArthur's commentary says this, The right hand is a symbol of authority. The reed symbolized the king's scepter. It was made of a common stalk, and the soldiers put it in his hand to mock Christ's authority. On Roman coins, the image of Tiberius was shown holding a scepter, and they smote him on the head. The soldiers hit his head repeatedly with the reed. Why? To make a joke of his authority. What kind of king could possibly be 
Could he be, if they could rip his scepter out of his hand and beat him on the head with it? Christ's sovereignty was a joke to them. They thought if they could spit on him and hit him in the head with his own scepter and have nothing happen in retaliation, then he couldn't be a king. He was mocked. Can you imagine? The Bible says Jesus didn't say a word. As a lamb led to the slaughter, he did not retaliate with his words. Is that hard for you to do? It's hard for me to do. I'm a steal. It's in our nature to retaliate with words. All right? It just is. And it's something that we all, you know, if you can tame the tongue, James says, now imagine being Jesus in this situation. You have all authority. He told Pilate, he says, I could call thousands of angels right now if I wanted to, but I'm not going to. Imagine the words that Jesus spoke. The greatest, it said the common man would hear Jesus flatly. Now imagine just not talking back. I can't imagine that. It's against my nature. It takes a person led by the Holy Spirit under the Holy Spirit's control at a moment like this not to say something. It's just amazing. They mocked him. And that is so important. Hebrews said, the writer of Hebrews said this, For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners. Talking about their words. That's how important this was. Against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. So he was forsaken, but being mocked is not some light matter. Not some light matter, especially when you're the, the king of kings. He was blasphemed. He was taunted. They gloated at him. They made fun of him, all in front of his family. And David records that. It's amazing what David wrote here. But not only that, he will suffer. Verses 12 through 18 talks about the suffering of Jesus in a very graphic fashion. The cross was a place of suffering. He was crucified. Josephus, the historian, called crucifixion the most wretched of deaths. Philosopher Cicero said it's all, it is so altogether shameful that good Romans or Greeks should never even mention the cross. It's not fit for good, decent people to make mention of it. The word to describe crucifixion is the word excruciating, which means to come out of the cross. That's a word that many Romans would not, never mention before. The reason was this death was a very slow and dehumanizing death. Most death occurred by asphyxiation. I heard Gary Habermas given a, um, he's a professor at Liberty. I think he still teaches at Liberty University. Uh, he's one of the foremost scholars in the whole world about the resurrection. But he was talking about the crucifixion. He said the way men died back then is after a scourging like Jesus took, you got to understand he was placed over a stump and beaten with a, with a cat of nine tails. And that alone killed most people. Then he's hanging on a cross. And the only way to get air, you're, you're, you're probably uh, have a nail through your wrists and then a nail through your feet. And the only way to breathe is a lift up. It's the only way. You can't breathe if you're down here. There's no way to breathe. Now imagine, how many pull-ups can you do? I bet there ain't a person in here that can do 10. I can't do two, probably. Imagine being on the cross and that's the only way you can live or die. Live or die. That's why Pilate was, was amazed that Jesus died so soon. But he was beaten to the point that Isaiah says that you couldn't even tell that he was a man. And then he's doing pull-ups on the cross. Imagine that. Just so you don't suffocate. Imagine how how horrific it would be to be in a position where you're suffocating and you can't, and you can't help yourself. That's, that's why Jesus was suffering. Notice what the verses say. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. I wonder why. Can you imagine what it does to your shoulders and the rest of your body when you're pulling yourself up like that? By a spike, just to breathe, to get a breath. 
My heart is like wax, it is melted within me. My strength is dried up, my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. No man suffered like Jesus physically, but also Jesus suffered spiritually in the sense that he felt like he was forsaken by the Lord. But he bore God's wrath on the cross. He bore God's wrath. That's what makes Jesus' death so horrific is that he took our sin upon himself, died in our place, and in doing so, he bore God's wrath, and that's why God forsook him. One scholar said this, The trouble Jesus encountered on the cross is given in the imagery of being surrounded by a pack of wild, ravenous animals. The picture is one of base brutality and depravity. Note the metaphors used in this psalm. Comparing these people to beasts, strong bulls in verse 12, roaring lions in verse 13, dogs in verse 16 and 20, wild oxen in verse 21. When people reject God, they act like animals. The crowd was like a bloodthirsty pack of beasts. So Jesus will be forsaken. He'll be mocked. He will suffer like no man has ever suffered. But because of his death and eventually his resurrection, he will save, and that is prophesied. Notice verses 22 and 24. Verses 22 and 24 say this, and notice how these words are used. If you look at verse 22, he says, I will declare your name to my brethren. This is important. It tells us that Jesus is the speaker, and it tells us that the brothers and sisters for brethren of the psalm's second half are those for whom he died and rose again. The word brothers Think about this. The Lord Jesus never called his people brethren on the other side of the cross. He spoke of them as disciples, sheep, friends, but never as brethren. But as soon as he was risen from the dead, he said to Mary, Go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend to my father. Jesus wanted his Jewish brothers to know that although he was despised by them, he loved them and wanted to save them. What happened after Jesus' death is that many Jews came to faith in Jesus Christ, which meant this, they gave up Judaism. That's why they were baptized publicly. They're saying this, I give up Judaism. You can't be a, a practicing Jew and a Christian. You can't do it. You can't be a practicing Muslim and a Christian. Jesus would say, give up being a Muslim because it's wrong and be a Christian because it's right. Then we can become brethren. We're not all God's children. The Bible says in John, those who believe God has given the right to be called the children of God. Notice the word brethren. That's not for everybody. That's for those that, for whom he died and rose again for. Jesus says this clearly. The one who rejects me rejects him who sent me. People and religions who reject Christ reject God and are not saved. That's why when you're baptized, you're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. When I was baptized, I was saying as best I can, I'm giving up my old way of life. When a, when a Muslim is baptized, they're saying, I'm giving up being a Muslim because it's wrong. When a Jew is baptized, I'm giving up being a Jew and I'm following Jesus. When a Mormon is baptized, I give up Mormonism. It's, when, a, when an atheist gets baptized in the name of Jesus, they're giving up atheism. That's how we become brothers. And then look at the great assembly, verses 25 through 29. We're not going to read it, but you can yourself. It talks about this great assembly. It expands from the Jews alone. That's why the Great Commission says this, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And then notice future generations, verse 30. In the final phase of this prophesied expansion 
of the number of those who had come to praise God because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross, there is a reference to future generations and to a people yet unborn. That's why Paul could say this to the church at Ephesus, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. Jesus' victory is too big to raise up just one type of people. And we know this in Revelation chapter 7, this prophetic look in the future. John says this, After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Future generations, David said. David says the Jews will be saved many. There'll be a great assembly of people throughout the nations, and then future generations will be saved as well. All because of the death and resurrection of, the Jesus, uh, of Jesus. But make no mistake, the writer of Hebrews says this, without the shedding of blood, there can be no forgiveness of sin. That's the doctrine of atonement. Then on the cross, we see the doctrine of, of propitiation, which means turning away the outpouring of God's wrath. God put it on Jesus instead of us. Romans 5, 9 says we are saved from God's wrath through Jesus. 1 John 2, 2 says he is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. 1 John 4, 10 says, and this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to, to be the propitiation for our sins, which means this. You will stand in Christ's righteousness and be declared not guilty for eternity, or you will stand in your own righteousness and be eternally condemned and bearing God's wrath for the rest of your life. Jesus provided the atonement and the propitiation for our sins, and Psalm 22 graphically displays this with um, amazing detail. I'm reminded that in Matthew 27, after, as Jesus was dying on the cross, the Roman centurion said this. Listen to this statement of faith. Truly, truly, this was the Son of God. What a profession. Now, have you ever placed your faith in Jesus? True faith involves three things that I think we forget. There's a, there's a Latin word called notitia. That means knowledge. You cannot have contentless faith. Faith in faith is not faith. I don't have blind faith. I had blind faith in Santa Claus and uh, the Tooth Fairy, but I don't have blind faith in Jesus. He is a real person who historically was born. He historically lived. This is a historical account. Psalm 22 is not, is not fantasy. It is, it is a detailed account of what happened. Matthew 27 is a detailed account of what happened. We have, our faith is in, we have knowledge and facts. It's not a blind faith. There's no such thing as blind faith. Blind faith doesn't save anybody. But knowledge alone does not save. A lot of people in Alexander County believe they have knowledge. And that's it. You have knowledge in a certain set of facts which do not save. Then there's another word, a census, which means to assent. That means to agree with. That means that I agree that Jesus was born, he died, and he rose from the dead. But that's not enough to save either. You have to have fiducia. You have to have them all. I have to have knowledge in a real person. I have to have knowledge in who he was. I assent to that fact that Jesus is Lord. Now see, demons believe those first two. And they're lost and they tremble. But if you don't have fiducia trust, you're just as lost as they are. 
Have you ever come to the point in your life where you, you not only believed who Jesus was and you ascended to that fact, but you placed your trust in him to the point that you followed him every day of your life? I say this often. When I got up this morning, I fiduciated Jesus. I trusted in him. Placed my trust in Jesus, not just in some facts, not just assent to it, but I'm clinging my life to it and I give my life to it. That's what I did on October 30th, 1990. I meet so many people in Alexander County who believe in certain facts. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that whoever believes, it, it involves all three. Whoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. Have you ever come to the point in your life where you placed your trust in Jesus? You, you just, just didn't believe facts and just assent to it a little bit, but you placed your trust in him. You personally did that. I can't do that for you. You can't do that for me. I can't do that for my children or my grandchildren, even though I would if I could. God has children, not grandchildren. Have you fiduciated Jesus? Have you placed your faith and trust in the resurrected Lord? Jesus died to satisfy God's wrath and pay your penalty of sin, and he rose from the dead so that we could be saved. That's why Paul says this. If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, facts, he's Lord. Assent to it. He's, he's God in flesh. And believe in your heart, trust in it, that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Friends, have you ever trusted in Christ yourself? Let's pray together. Father, as we come to you in prayer, we want to thank you, Lord, for Psalm 22. It's an amazing psalm. Lord, you died for people. You died in our place. You bore God's wrath. Lord, you died for your sheep and for your children. Father, I pray that if there's anyone watching today that's never placed their complete faith and trust in you, Lord, that they would do that today. I'm not talking about taking communion or being baptized or any of those things or joining a church or going through confirmation or doing all those things. I'm talking about I have personally placed my complete trust in Christ for salvation. Lord, that is the only salvation mentioned in the Bible. It's not head knowledge. And it's not just heart knowledge. It's heart knowledge and head knowledge that places their complete, total trust in you. Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for your death and your resurrection that alone saves. Father, we have good news to share with a lost and dying world. And Lord, we are part of that great assembly that David talked about. But Lord, there are others out there, and I pray that, Lord, you'd use us and use this church to reach them before your, for your honor and for your glory before it's eternally too late. In Jesus' name I pray, and all of God's people said, amen. Well, everybody here and everybody at home, you're dismissed. Have a great Sunday.